welcome to Meeting Malcolmus, a pavement podcast. Hey, it's JD here, back for another week of hauling on the vape that is the discography of seminal indie rock band Pavement, looking for that fix inside my lungs so that I know it's working. You know what I'm saying? How are you doing? Uh, back again. The show was over, and this is the, the, I don't know, the third episode I've done since I ended the show. So, no. I did the April Fool's episode, announced the pod list, and, and now today, yeah, that's three. So, apologies if you uh, were hoping that you had gotten rid of me, but uh, you haven't, because I'm still here, and occasionally I will have things to say, like today, for example. Uh, I can tell you right off the bat that I'll be doing another episode close, uh, following the, um, opening show, the, the secret show in Los Angeles, uh, coming up in, I guess about two weeks, two or three weeks. So, uh, yeah, I managed to get a ticket for that and, it just worked out that I'm going to be in Vegas, and I found a flight to L.A. for like $29, so I'm going to fly into L.A., maybe catch a baseball game or two, um, and uh, and uh, watch the boys. That's going to be so fun, right? I think it's going to be pretty cool. How are you doing? I hope everybody is doing well. Um, I am... Uh, you know, struggling a little bit, I would say. Uh, I'm happy that uh, all this stuff is coming up, but, you know, it's tough. Um, It's tough not working and uh, languishing, you know, the way I am. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. So it kind of sucks, but uh, there's things to look forward to. So there's that. I do hope that this finds you well. And, uh, I've got a couple friends that have long COVID and, you know, uh, it seems like it's a, a, a terrible thing. So I hope nobody out there is experiencing that. Or if, if you have got it, it, you know, it went away or, you know, all that good stuff. So, uh, yeah. Why am I here? Well, uh, there's a couple of reasons why I wanted to pop up. Well, no, actually there's only one. Um, uh, I wanted to just check in and say, Hey, and I also wanted to play an interview that I did with Daniel Ephraim, uh, of the Steve, uh, Steve Keen art book. Um, I met with him last week, a day, and we talked for 30 or 40 minutes about the project and about what he's doing. And, uh, it's pretty fucking cool. You know, this is a, this is a, a coffee table book for those of you that have a reinforced coffee table. This sucker is six pounds. It's designed to be uh, to fit in your LP shelf. Uh, so it's 12 by 12. So it's got the same, you know, sort of dimensions as an LP. And um, that's pretty cool. Uh, a lot of the artwork in there is like LP uh, sized. Um, it's, it's, you know, it looks like a beautiful project, a labor, just a labor of love. And, uh, Daniel, um, walked me through it all, you know, how he sort of became 
part of the project, what he's been up to, what he's been doing, and you know all that good stuff. So I thought I would let you hear that, and uh, maybe we'll listen to a pavement song. And uh, oh shit! Before I go uh, for this episode, because we're gonna listen to a song and then go right into this interview. Um, I want to let you know that uh, Daniel has decided to carve out a bit of a deal for Meeting Malcolmist listeners, and you can uh, score that deal by purchasing the book. Hold on, I'm going to pull up this email right now. Uh, do, do, do. Um, oh, shit. It's, it's, it's a link. Um, I'll put it in the show notes, the link, but basically if you go to hat and beard press and look at the Steve Keen art book, put it in your cart and add, um, oh fuck. It's just beautiful. It's really a nice looking book. Uh, uh, if you put in the code farewell, horizontal 2022, all uppercase farewell, horizontal 2022, That'll get you fifteen percent off. That'll uh, it's a ninety five dollar book, so you're going to save about fifteen bucks. That's not so bad for just listening to you know ten minutes of a podcast. Uh, I would say if you're interested even remotely, take advantage of that offer and get this thing in your hands. Again, a labor of love. Uh, Keen has a uh, a neat history interwoven with Berman and and Malk, and uh, yeah. I'm I'm reluctant to say his full name because I got called out recently for the way I pronounce uh, SM's name, and it's got me all sensitive. Um, <laughs> I guess you know just sort of the way it falls out of my mouth. It, it, there's an extra syllable, and I I don't mean it. I don't mean for it to. I know it's you know I know it's not Malcolmus, uh, but I guess just the way I say Malcolmus, it's like uh, it comes out. Malcolmus, Malcolmus. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know, man. Uh, I suck. Uh, I talked to the man and he didn't correct me. So what can you do? Anyway, let's listen to what have I got here? This is uh, live from the palace. This is heckler spray and in the mouth, a desert. So give this a listen. And on the other side, we'll go right into that interview with Daniel. Thanks so much for uh, checking us out today. Hope you're well. 15% off. Farewell Horizontal 2022. Hatandbeardpress.com. Have at her for now. This is Heckler Spray and In the Mouth, a Desert. Live from the Palace on Meeting Malcolmus, a pavement podcast. Fuck, I just did it again, didn't I?
ground out of sight And if the sight is just no more sign I can't make enough sense to me Pretend the table is a trust We'll put our labels down, ladies down I'll watch the yards and twine around just start by asking you like sort of a general question and that's where we'll fade we'll fade the interview up from this point um like this is where you know you'll see what i mean if if you listen to it but um yeah we'll fade up from this point so this will be it'll it'll sound like we've been you know world friends and we've been talking for you know 10 10 or 20 minutes at this point but for real we've only been talking (laughs) for for just a couple but but to be clear i do feel like you're an old friend already well, we've we've exchanged quite a few emails. I'm glad this was it. I'm glad I'm I'm able to do this for you. Like it was just like, what a shit show. Like I was like, dude, Malcolm, like, like SM reached out to me. Yeah, and that's why I wrapped the show because the show right. was called Meeting Malcolmus, and it's right. like I met him, and it right. was like Jesus was Christ. I, I I've just finished the show. So when when I sent you that email, I'm like, golly, I don't know what to do. Like I'm sort of done the show, but now I guess what I'm doing is I'm. 
I'm just sort of popping in every month or so and just sort of, especially because it's so, there's so much pavement news right now. Yeah, totally. So this is, I, I thought this worked out well. So this will come out the 1st of May. <laughs> it's awesome. I love yeah. It. <laughs> okay. So, and it's Daniel A from, right? Like uh, E-A, like A. Like actually, it's, 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 it's more like, it's a, it's a, it's a soft E. So it's Ephraim. Ephraim. Okay. Like Sorry. with a, yeah, P-H-R-U-M. Ephraim. I can I can handle that. I I thought you were making a Canadian joke yesterday when you when you said um, uh, E H right when you were like I was like I was like I got this. Oh no my problem. god, that's so hey. funny. Of course, I would. That's the first time I've communicated with a Canadian podcaster about the 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 pronunciation. And prior to this, in 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 here in the states, I haven't. They've all got it wrong, and I hadn't thought about that. Like, oh, people get my name wrong. I just never really thought about it. Um, <laughs> so you're the first person I ever said that to when it got interpreted wrong. <laughs> well, my Canadianness came out. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, hilarious. Anyway, sorry. So I'm Daniel, already enjoying it. <laughs> so Daniel, tell t- um, tell me a little bit about tell me a little bit about you uh, before we get into um, the book and before we get into Steve Keen. I would like to know. You know, sort of uh, what makes you tech, uh, and and you know how you if, if you want to go from biography to how you got involved in this project, then that would be just lovely. You could dovetail that right in. Uh, sure. Um, my, I, I really I, I've been a fan of uh, music all my life. I grew up playing uh, classical music. Actually, my dad was a professional classical musician for uh, for sixty four years. And wow. so, so I grew up, uh, as playing classical music and my mom, so my dad was a professional musician. My mom was a social worker. I became the perfect genetic hybrid. I would then, I was <laughs> destined to manage musicians and artists. Um, so I was destined for this. I blame them for it. They're no longer around. So I can't, <laughs> so they can't retort this. Uh, so they can't fight it. It is what it is. It is my story. Uh, and so anyway, I, I, I grew, I, I grew up, uh, you know, really being an advocate for just, uh, uh, what I considered cool things. And at that time it was like some form of rock and roll or punk rock or whatever. Uh, early on, I was a DJ at, uh, in high school, I was a DJ at a college radio station and I put on shows and so forth. And I, which, kind of, which station, which, uh, part, which college did you go to? Well, in high school, I I was in high school, but I I DJed at Vassar College, uh, oh, in wow. town in uh, Poughkeepsie, New York, and so I was just I was just hanging around the station too much. I was that annoying kid that was just <laughs> waiting for the new records to come in, and there right. wasn't a whole, honestly there wasn't a whole lot to do in Poughkeepsie, so like that was like the thing that I thought you know loner music kids did, uh, which was in in essence like me and five other people. But, but anyway, so they ended up giving me a show just probably to get rid of me. Um, like, uh, someone didn't show up for a shift. Uh, why don't you get on air and stop bugging me, uh, for looking at the new releases, uh, this week? Uh, go on the air and, you know, help us out. And it sort of went from there. And then I ended up, you know, uh, it just ended up being that I had friends that played in bands and we did do it yourself shows and, I promoted them on my college, on my college, my, as a high schooler on this college radio show, I promoted the shows, of course, as well. And it just kind of moved from there. Uh, eventually I, uh, I would, it would be my career for, you know, about 
25 years, I was managing musicians, uh, advocating for projects, et cetera. I probably worked on, you know, again, this is a very loose number because some I worked on, I worked on probably, I always say I probably worked on a hundred albums, music albums. And I, I'm sure I did, but it was, you know, various levels. Some of them I was like finding the deals for the bands and, you know, dealing with administrating uh, the finances to make sure the records are done. Some I was consulting on like, Hey, what should I do with this record marketing wise? How would I, you know, how would I make this record uh, float uh, somewhere? How can I get people's interest with this? I was helping musicians. So I worked on a lot of projects is basically what I'm saying with that. And, uh, you know, I, I've, over the years I worked with bands uh, and, a, and a lot of bands that kind of flew in and out of the, the Steve Keen ether. And, um, you know, uh, from managing wise, I, I manage and still technically manage the apples in stereo. Um, wow. Who, who are really on permanent hiatus at this point, but I do have things to do in fact today for them, um, which is a rarity, but it is something to do. Um, but you know, I've, I worked, I've managed a lot of different bands over the years and I also managed, uh, 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 you know, I've worked on films, uh, as a producer and also now as a prime, my primary interest now is as a photo documentarian, uh, you know, cinematographer, uh, videographer, you know, doing all types of kind of telling stories of some sort. And, you know, Steve's, our relationship is, is a long one and it kind of developed from, uh, my work in the music business. Interesting. So let's so let's talk about that convergence then. Um, when when did you first meet Steve Keen? Uh, we, I came across Steve at a place in New York called the Threadwaxing Space, uh, which was a really important uh, but very uh, short lived few years uh, a cultural gallery venue kind of art space uh, and. Uh, I came across him. He, 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 in essence, he was, uh, that was where he was putting up his works from floor to ceiling. And that was where I first experienced him selling his artworks, you know, uh, you know, for a couple bucks a piece. And they were just strewn all over the place at this, at these shows. And as I would, as I would, uh, uh, you know, go around town on the, the, the indie rock circuit in the nineties, this is an, you know, like 94 ish, 95 ish. In, uh, in New York City, um, what was happening was there was, you know, he, everywhere it seemed like he, I was, he was selling his work at merch tables. So all the different clubs had Steve Keen stuff uh, for sale, as well as, you know, the band you came to see that night. And so it just kind of, uh, you know, I, that's when I, I first came, came to, you know, came into contact with Steve in the Mid nineties, I guess it would be more appropriate to say. And, uh, eventually we ended up working on a compilation record, uh, for the thread waxing space called thread waxing space live. And the space itself, the curators, uh, you know, seemingly, you know, in, in a, in a perfectly chosen way, chose their, their artists that they have been working with the most. They chose Steve to do the artwork. And so as uh, I was working at a record label at the time, and so I helped, you know, coordinate this record and was part of that, that, again, that indie rock scene at the time, 
which really is probably most noted for spawning uh, Guided by Voices in New York. Okay. So, like, uh, one of the big shows uh, that they, that Guided by Voices played, at that point, they were really, really, really buzzing at the time. It was, I think they had just put out um, the records that had just been the first ones that were distributed uh, officially. They, I don't think they had yet signed to Matador. Maybe they had, but it was right at the beginning. And they played a, uh, a few, uh, probably, I believe they played more than one show, but at uh, the Thread Waxing Space, and that was kind of a, a big deal. And I think MTV came, and it kind of, like, sort of launched them. And so, you know, this idea of, like, making a record, um, a compilation record of some of the great shows that the space was putting on was a good idea. And so, in essence, we put together, the record label was called Zero Hour, and we ended up putting up, uh, putting out a compilation that uh, Steve designed the artwork for, um, or, or came up with the cover art for, rather. It was designed by another uh, now very important contemporary artist, Ryan McGinnis. So the designer uh, is uh, Ryan McGinnis, and the person who created the artwork is Steve Keen. And lo and behold, both, you know, both of them are still kicking and doing really important, great work. And I had uh, four uh, you know, projects down the line, um, they would work together again. Interesting. Wow. Okay. Um, well, how does how does the link work between Keen and and Berman and and ultimately Pavement? Um, well, that's you know Steve would be best to 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 answer this, but my my loose understanding of of this is that in essence they all DJed at WTJU in Charlottesville, Virginia right. uh, at the same time. And, and so uh-huh. my understanding is that they ended up being housemates at one point as well. And Steve was a little bit older than them, but he saw that they were, they were just really starting to make music together uh, in very loose forms at that point. Again, this is my understanding of it. Yeah. And, and, and so, you know, he just saw like something that he really liked and he thought they were, uh, you know, on the up, he liked what they were about. They liked to, they seemed to like the same music and he just liked, it seemed like they all liked to be around each other. And, uh, you know, as they kind of progressed, I think that, um, you know, as Steve moved to New York and then, you know, uh, every indie rock trail goes through, you know, uh, New York and Los Angeles and Toronto, of course. And, uh, Sometimes Montreal, sometimes, sometimes Vancouver, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, like, you know, it, you know, you make it through. And I think that they ended up being that there was a, you know, this crossover where Malcolmist was living in New York, Steve was living in New York, you know, uh, a bunch of the other members, if they weren't in New York at the time, they were close by. I don't know where, if Steve, if Steve West and, or, uh, Cannonberg were living in New York or not. I, I don't know that. Maybe, you know. Yeah. I don't uh, think that, I don't think they were ever. In New York proper, but uh, I mean that doesn't change yeah, the just, story. Yeah, but, I'm just yeah. yeah, no, I was just I'm just curious for my own, you know, because I know that I know Malcolm is did live in New York and you know notoriously worked at the Whitney and so forth. That's right. Yeah. So like like you know these are these are like interesting little sidebars because Steve, you know, is you know it's it's interesting that that uh, Stephen Malcolm was working at the Whitney and obviously. That's a one frame of reference for the art world, a very important one. 
And, you know, Steve Keen is kind of making his own mark in his own way. At the same time, he's on a, you know, on a big upswing at that very moment, uh, is about to make, you know, history, if you will, in a couple of years with working on the pavement record. So it's kind of a, it's an interesting thing how all this blends together. Well, let's talk a little bit more about that history that they made when it comes to the Wowie Zowie cover artwork. What what can you share with us about that, if if anything? I, I'm not sure whether you've got insight into into that. I mean, I know that we we've spoke. Uh, Bobby from Atlanta spoke with Mark O, uh, who you know talked about the album cover to a certain degree. But I'm wondering if you have a, a more Steve centric uh, version of that tale. I wish I did. I I don't. What I what I can. What I can say is, from my own perspective, is that when I, I had been familiar with uh, Pavement from their previous releases, uh, because you literally had to be, you know, um, indoctrinated. Like, if you didn't know Pavement at that point, you were missing out. And I was supposedly part of the music business, so I had to know who it was. And I, and I was a fan. Um, but I became, like, most... Um, you know, when Steve worked on Wowie Zowie was when it kind of, uh, hit me as to like, wow, this is a, you know, his, his work finally hit me. And it also started this other buzz. So there's already this talk about, you know, pavement for, for obviously other, there are other reasons, crooked rain, et cetera. Um, there's this talk about pavement for those reasons. And then one of, one of my favorite artists does, you know, does this uh, newly found painters does this album artwork and suddenly it's like, Oh my God, I feel like I'm in the epicenter of, 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 of all things happening in indie rock right now. Uh I felt like I was on the, uh, like on the precipice of just being in an important place. That's what I felt like. Oh, that's so cool. I didn't necessarily feel important. Like I was important. I just felt I'm like, wow, there's some really interesting stuff happening here. You know, guide again, the guided by voices show where they, get discovered by MTV. The the album that the the record label that we that I worked at and several of my friends worked at as well and we're doing this really cool album. And then, you know, in all mixed into this vortex is, you know, wowie zowie. So to me this is all kind of like this sort of uh, a real milestone period of time where I'm introduced to a, a world beyond music as well. Um so what also wowie zowie means to me again slightly different it's not telling stories about exactly how that happened because i don't i don't have that insight like mark o would um who helped me with uh with the book that we'll talk about in a little bit as well oh wow Um, small world yeah no he's very helpful actually and um what what ended up happening was um uh, the uh when i was introduced to steve the most important thing i think as a life lesson that steve uh, taught me very early on was that, you know, you can find art that you can afford and it can mean something very important to you. And the idea of collecting art, I mean, my parents were cultured and had paintings and so forth in in, their, in the house. I didn't really know what that meant. You know, they were friends, right. they had paintings. I don't know, like, where'd they get these things? Some of them, <laughs> some of them meant something to me because I thought they were cool looking. And some of them didn't mean anything to me at all. I assume, obviously, they must have to my parents. But when I came to New York and I got to see Steve's work, 
uh, and saw that it was so available financially. Here I am in my early 20s, and I'm able to afford some original artwork. This blew my mind. Like, I just thought it was the coolest thing that I could walk home after a gig with like two or three pieces underneath my arm and hang them on my wall and theoretically enjoy them for a while. Uh, and it'd be limited exposure to financial risk. Like, who would have known that? I didn't know anything about art collecting or anything at that point. And Steve taught me that, like, art isn't necessarily about, um, you know, what it's, you know, if it's, if it's worth a million dollars, it's about what it means to you. And to that end, like, one of the reasons why we're talking is I ended up making a book about Steve called the Steve Keen Art Book. And it, the reason why I did it quite legitimately is because I still have those same paintings hanging in my apartment. And each morning I look at them and they make me smile. And that's a gift. And that's, that's pretty imp- cool. And that's yeah. important. And like, I bought those for two bucks, three bucks back in, you know, 1995 or 97 or whatever exactly it was, but they still make me smile each day. And I, I I think that's really the lesson. And, and that's in essence why we're, like I said, that's why we're here. I ended up making a book about Steve Keen because these, his artwork means something to me. And, and uh, I wanted to, to show uh, other people why it meant something to me. Well, let's get into the let's get into the book because this is definitely you can tell it's a it's a passion project, um, you know. Like there there is there is definitely something, um, like a, a connection between you and the artist. Like you you can, like I I mean you gave me a, like a, a sneak peek into a few things and you know from my look at things and and just listening to you talk, you know there's there's a lot of people that enjoy artists out there, but not everybody goes and makes a book about that artist, you know? Um, well, so- again, I, I blame my parents. Like I said <laughs> earlier, if, if you leave that in, I, I was blaming my parents for all of my career uh, mistakes. Uh, uh, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, no, look, uh, you I totally get you. I, I, you know, I've always, I've just been driven to be an advocate for various artists when I feel passionately about something uh, like, the art, it, it just drives me forward. With Steve, again, and with a lot of projects that I've worked on, um, it just comes down to, does it have the longevity? You know, right. like sometimes when you're managing, when I was managing bands, uh, you hope that you have the longevity. And most of the time, honestly, it doesn't. Like it, it is, I've worked with the Apples for over 20 years. I'm proud of that for sure. Um, but that's a, a an exception, and they're not active right now, so it's easier in some ways. But uh, it's a very difficult uh, thing to continuously work with with artists for many reasons, as we can all imagine. But with Steve's work and making this book, to me, it just kind of all it all came back. I was always in that world. It seemed from the early '90s on, I kept floating back into into his universe. And, uh-huh. and, and so I'd come back. So for example, I, st- we talked a little bit about the thread waxing space live record. Um, and, uh, for which just to mention, uh, that there's a, a, the longest history that I think has ever been published on the thread waxing space is in this book written by the curator of the space talking oh, about why, neat. why, uh, he got involved with Steve and what the sort of, what the scene looked like. And so 
that's part of the book. It's part of his history. It should be. Right. Um, I wanted to create a book that really had as much, uh, you know, detail as possible around this. Um, because I think it substantiates how important he is to me. Um, but in, in, to move forward from that, uh, I worked with him on records with the Apples. The Apples hired him probably eight or 10 times for different projects that they were involved with, whether it be singles or albums, certainly five or six albums, singles, solo projects. He was always doing Robert Schneider's, uh, cover artwork. It was almost an exclusive arrangement, it seemed. Um, so I was always working with Steve on and off. And then in, in, it, I also worked with him on a different type of project. I work on a world music project with a klezmer group called the Klezmatics, uh, who are from New York. They were asked to make an album, uh, of, to make the music for lyrics by Woody Guthrie. Um, wow. as you probably know, Woody Guthrie's besides maybe Bob Harbord is more uh, prolific, <laughs> but yeah. at the time, Woody was probably the most prolific songwriter in American history. And there are a few that compare with him, obviously, in, in, for a number of reasons. But he's certainly upper echelon of like prolific nature uh, amongst everything else. Now, back in his day, they, they didn't necess- he wrote the lyrics, he didn't necessarily write the, the, the music, so... Uh, Nora Guthrie came and, and, and to the band and said, Hey, I'd like for you to interpret his lyrics with your klezmer music. Will you make an album or more of stuff? And I worked with them on this album. And, you know, at that time I was trying to put to help the band put together the best, uh, package, uh, rather than just a, you know, uh, a, a, at the time it was more physical based market. Obviously we have vinyl. We love vinyl. We love, we can love CDs too. At the time it was a CD driven market. This was in 2006 ish when we're making and, and, and distributing a record. Uh, And so we had to make a, I hope a great package. And I thought, what would be more appropriate? How are we going to make a great package? I could Photoshop in this, you know, a picture of Woody Guthrie um, from, you know, the Dust Bowl era, the fifties, forties and fifties, et cetera, uh, with the, the cosmetics, and it'll probably look pretty cheesy, you know, um, or we could have maybe a, maybe there's an artist that could paint, um, their resemblances for an album cover. And so I was racking my brain like, Oh, well, who should I get to do this? And, <laughs> you know, like it didn't take long to think, Oh, well, I was reading at the time. I was also reading about Woody Guthrie. Um, and it turns out Woody's side gig, side hustle was as a sign painter. <laughs> oh, wow. And so Steve paints on wood. Steve paints on wood. He's a sign painter. Right. Uh, so I just, I just was like, well, there can't be a better match than this. Here's the most prolific at the time, what I thought of as the most prolific American songwriter of all time, mixed with perhaps the most prolific hand painting, hand painter of all time, perhaps in the world. Like, how could this be a, this is a perfect match. So Steve created the artwork for the Klezmatics Wonder Wheel album, which, uh, as it would happen, uh, ended up winning a Grammy award. Oh, shit. So, um, he's actually, uh, though it it wasn't for category of, uh, art direction or for a cover image or anything like that. He did work on a Grammy winning album. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Who gets to do that? Exactly. So, and I, and I got lucky enough to be able to kind of put all this together. It was just like a fun thing. So I've worked with Steve on so many different things over the years, that album, the Apple's albums, I curated a couple shows and then bringing forward to why the book even exists. 
at one point again, we went, I went in and out of his, 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 uh, universe, you know, after a few years, we'd cycle in and out. I'd find a project I'd work on and then I'd, you know, get distracted for a few years and then I'd come back and oh, have something to do with Steve again. And so in 2013 and 14, I started back into his vortex again, <laughs> getting back into his vortex. And I offer, I offered to try and find him a show in New York because I hadn't seen one in a while. And I was like, hey, would you like a show? Maybe I could find one for you. And he, you know, probably much to his chagrin said, okay. And uh, <laughs> so I, I found him a show. And uh, this is also included in, uh, part of it at least is included in the book as the story of uh, getting um, this Brooklyn Public Library um, um, show for him. But the book itself is based on the second show that I curated for him, which uh, curated for him, with him. I mean, it's, it, it, it's such a collaborative effort, the whole thing. Um, it was with uh, Shepard Ferry out in L.A. Um, I'm sure you're familiar with Shepard Ferry, the, the, uh, the um, screen printer artist uh, of note, uh, known for uh, a lot of things, but probably most noted for Obama Hope, that illustration. Right. Um, he, you know, he had been in and out of my world as well a few times. And I had found out that he, I, I found out from Steve that he was, a, that Steve was a big fan of Shepard Fairies. One time I was out in LA and I thought, oh, you know, I should get in touch with, with Shepard about Steve, um, and see if he, cause Shepard has a, a gallery out in Los Angeles. And I thought, wow, it would be great if we could do a show maybe with Shepard. Anyway, cut to the chase, and I had forgotten to get in touch with him on this whole trip. I'd been out there for weeks and forgotten to get in touch with Shepard. I don't know him well at that time at all. It's not like I could just pick up the phone and call him. <laughs> but, you know, I, I, I had done some work uh, with him previously. Anyway, um, funny enough, I was literally my last day there, and I was on Venice Beach kind of just celebrating that it was the end of my trip. And I thought, oh, my gosh, I haven't even tried to get in touch with Shepard Ferry. And I looked up his his uh, gallery website address, saw that there was a uh, info at uh, Subliminal Projects is the name of his gallery. So I saw there was an, an email address, info at, right? <laughs> and I just put Steve Keen in the subject line, or this is how I remember it. And, uh, and then I put, are you familiar with, and put my name. That's it. That was the email. I just figured wow. if, if it's going to go through, it's going to go through because he knows who Steve is. And, right. You know, there's no other, you know, might as well not like make it too long. Let's pique his interest if he's even paying attention. I mean, obviously he's not paying attention to his own, you know, uh, gallery email because he has like 50 people working for him. Obviously he's not going to pay attention to this. So I just kind of took this chance and literally I sent that email and within, within, you know, what feels like a half an hour, I'd gotten an email back from Shepard. Holy like, shit. and I was just like blown away. I was like, and he was like, yeah, I know Steve Keen. What's, you know, like, what do you, what's it to you? <laughs> it's not what he said, but this is how I'm interpreting it. Right. You know, what, what's it? Yeah. I know Steve Keen. What's it to you, pal. You know? <laughs> um, and I just said, uh, you know, Steve's a, I think I said something like Steve's a fan and I'm helping him out. And, you know, uh, I don't know. Would you, would you want to maybe talk about a show? And he said, come in tomorrow. And we'll talk. And so I changed my flight. I went to the uh, subliminal projects offices and it ended up that we ended up doing a show um, at Shepard's 
gallery, that's really the reason for the book. I mean, that's how the book really started. If the, if the Subliminal Projects show hadn't happened and hadn't been so successful, I don't think that um, we'd be here talking right now. Really? Yeah, it's a so crazy. It just, so that just sort of underscored the idea that you were onto something because well, you had this noodling. You had this noodling in your head. Well, I knew I knew how important Steve was to me, and I knew how important he was to like virtually all my indie rock friends here in New York, mm-hmm. and then some outside of New York as well. Um, I'd like to imply I have lots of friends, but I really don't. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, no, but seriously, like I. I thought Steve was important. And sometimes, you know, you just take a, I mean, you know, you have to kind of gauge these things. Do you feel like something's happening here? Shepard Ferry. I don't, you know, know him. I'm acquainted him with him at that point. I know him better now, but I don't know him. He's, I just know that he's a fan and he's like willing to like have a meeting with me the next day about this artist that I just randomly, literally randomly emailed him about. That's pretty cool. And to then do, to actually a year later, then make a show happen, work with him and his wife curating that show, uh, them being so supportive and the show going absolutely bonkers great. Like we had Steve Norm, because his, his prices are so low, he normally sells a lot of goods. That's how it works. He sells a lot of pieces. Um, and people are astounded by how many pieces he creates and how many pieces he can sell. This show, it's at a gallery. We had to charge a little bit more for pieces than Steve normally does to make it work. Uh, it it worked out. We sold like 550 pieces the first night. Holy. These are massive pieces, too. These are two foot by two foot pieces that he sold. And so we had a, a line out the door. And at that point, you know, the first night, everyone can't fit in the gallery. Now, Shepard's popular, but... You know, this is not just about a shepherd party. This is about like people going like crazy for Steve's work and like really being supportive. And I, I think at that point I was certainly exhausted. Steve was, I'm sure, as well. But I thought to myself, you know, make a note, you know, maybe this is maybe this is time, maybe it's time to make a book. Um, like maybe six months from now when I'm not as exhausted from this experience, maybe we maybe there's something to talk about. And, uh, you know, that idea took six years to make, but, uh, <laughs> we're here. So, t- so talk a little bit about that process, like, uh, like making a book. Like I have this thing in my head that people that write books or create books, like, you know, make, write and create books, um, are on the highest shelf for me. Like, I just think that that is the coolest thing that you can do. I have a buddy that just wrote a book and I, I just adore him. Like, I think that that's the coolest thing that you can do. So this is really fabulously cool to me that you're doing this or or that you've done this. So what do we do now? Where, like, how do, how do we get our hands on it? And, um, you know, what's the process look like at this point and, and, and that good stuff. Well, um, you know, it was just a fascinating thing for me, too, to make a book. Um, and I do look at books in that same way. Um, it's, it's you know, anyone that can, I mean, fiction versus nonfiction, of course. And this is an art book. So this is a monograph book trying to encapsulate as much of his work as I could, uh, because he's, again, created so much work. The You know, one of the things that I want to, wanted to do with this book was to make sure that history 
talks about Steve in context. And to me, in context is that he is perhaps the most uh, prolific painter in history. And, Seems that way, right? I mean, he makes, you know, if, if you haven't checked it out, you know, there's videos uh, online and so forth that you can check out. But the main thing is that he produces 50 pieces, usually at a time, in a chain link fence cage that acts as his easel so that he oh, wow. can hang 50 pieces of wood up that are sometimes two foot by two foot, a foot by a foot, 11 by 17, various sizes. But he puts up approximately 40 to 60 pieces at a time and he paints them all at once. And there's four of each at a time in each series. So there's an essence he's playing, uh, you know, a, a 12 games of chess at a time, painting four of a kind, 12 different, 12 different, in essence, 12 different paintings, four of a kind so, all at once. So it's this amazing game of, 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 of tactician, a tactical game of what, how can I paint this with the color I have right now? What can I fill in on the next painting next door? Because he's doing different paintings uh, at the same time. So he, his mind has to work in this truly mathematical way that I don't understand, <laughs> but it's amazing to watch. And it's also kind of, it's meditative to watch as well. The way he works is very, it's very, uh, there's a, there's a real uh, zenness to his approach. And I, and there's something really beautiful about watching him do this. I'm lucky to have seen him paint, you know, dozens of times. There's something beautiful about that too. Um, so I've lost my train of thought, of course. Uh, but, uh, where were we again? I'm well, sorry. No, no. I think, How that, did the I, book... I think that that's a good, I, I think that what you just gave us is, is interesting stuff for sure. So, you know, definitely don't apologize. <laughs> but w what I'm looking for at this point is how do I get this book? Oh, oh, okay. Well, the, you can get the book from, uh, Hat and Beard Press. Um, they're, uh, my co-publisher in uh, Los Angeles and they have uh so it's 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 hatandbeard.com hatandbeard.com i'll put yes. that in the show notes too yeah yeah um if you go there you can you can you can get the book um and uh it's on right it's right now it's literally on there's so much to this book i mean i could talk about it for hours and i'm sure you were bored with me at this point but no i'm not at all but <laughs> but it is on its way right now from bosnia where it was printed uh, by ship, so it's on its way by ship oh, right that now. That must be so exciting for you. It is. Uh, it's. Uh, I was. I actually went over to to see it get printed and to you know to approve the print run uh, a couple months ago. So I was in Bosnia. Um, wow. So the book has taken me all the way from Los Angeles uh -huh. uh, to you know, of course, my home in New York to Bosnia, halfway around the world. Gee whiz! Uh, to make this book about this artist that I truly admire. Yeah. That's, that's wild. <laughs> Bosnia. Gee whiz. And it was, and it, I was there uh, about um, um, uh, two weeks before uh, the invasion. And so there was a different vibe there. Um, it was, I mean, it's about a thousand miles away from, uh, from the Ukraine, but it's, you know, it's a thousand miles. That's not that actually yeah, not that no, far. And no, there's that's a, not that far at all. There's a palpable, I mean, there was a palpable uh, sensitivity going on at that time, two weeks before this is happening. I was very, very, a little bit odd for sure. I'm glad I went on press because I wanted to make sure the quality was right. And as it would happen, I had color corrections to make 
on press. That was very important. I'm glad I was there. Oh. Uh, but by the same token, it was a little bit weird. <laughs> yeah. And then yeah. to get it back from, from Bosnia, get the books back from Bosnia, it's actually really weird too because war profiteering has taken hold and the, sh- and the freight costs went through the roof from the beginning of the process to the end. So it's a very, it's, it's really affected, uh, you know, this sort of uh, fun little passion project has, has, has been affected for sure. Neat. Well, I've uh, really enjoyed um, talking to you about Steve uh, and the book. Um, apologize that it took so long for us to get together to do this. If if only the listeners had an idea of, you know, the the exchanges that we've had and how Steve and Malcolm has sort of, you know, screwed this whole thing up. <laughs> <laughs> no, he made it. He he made actually. He really helped because now you're talking. Now you you. I appreciate. Now we're able to talk, and there's a reason why they're now together touring. Yeah. And uh, this is this is a reason for celebration. There's Absolutely. a reason for celebration for the the Terror Twilight, you know, reissue. And there's yeah. a and there's a, a reason I think to celebrate for the Steve Keen art book. Oh, very cool. I like the connection there. Well, Daniel, it's it's been a it's been a blast. Uh, I've got to uh, head to my daughter's school because she has skinned her knee apparently. So. Um, you know, major drama here on my end. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope I hope your daughter is okay. Yeah, I, she's going to be fine. Jesus Christ! Like it's a skin <laughs> knee. The school calling us, telling us, "Come on, this is this is so strange." Um, if I go there and her leg is, you know, in in bad shape, then I'm going to feel bad for joking about it. But uh, <laughs> nevertheless, um, so where can people find more information about you and uh, and would they go to that site that we talked about earlier or is there a better place to go to learn yeah, more about you? Yeah. Hattonbeard.com you can go to or danielefram.com. Um, that's where my main photography and other book is. So, um, you know, there's, there's lots of information there. Awesome. Well, take good care. Thank you so much for having me. It's so awesome to chat with you. I've really enjoyed your, your series. So this is a real thrill for me. Oh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> you don't have to say that, but that's awesome. Thanks. <laughs> All right. You have a good one. All right. Thanks again. And don't forget, wash your hands. Peace out. Meeting Malcolmus, a pavement podcast, is a weekly affair. Connect with JD at JD at meetingmalchemist.com. Please support the pod by rating, reviewing, or sponsoring us at meetingmalchemist.com. And hey, I'm social. Follow me on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at meetingmalchemist.